This is VLX number 131. We are in Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 32. By what authority? VLX stands for Video Lexio Divina, the Patristic Bible Study and Ignatian Prayer Series Online. God grant you his peace and nomine patris afidi spiritu sancti amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. And omni patris afidi spiritu sancti amen. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from, from heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not, but afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. There is no announcements today, so we can enter right into the text. So we look at verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? That's the name of today's VLX, VLX 131, By What Authority? Now, if you heard that talk by Father Ripperger recently, Our Lady of Sorrows and Healing, very, very good talk. He makes the point of how boring the demons are and how exciting the saints are. G.K. Chesterton said something similar. And I think because we often find the enemies of Jesus so boring, we often just kind of skip over the titles that they're given in the Bible. We kind of just conglomerate them all into Pharisees, sometimes Sadducees. But it's important to realize that there's two groups listed today in Matthew 21 who are coming after Jesus this very last week leading up to his death. So in verse 23 today, we had the hoi, that's the plural for thee, Hoi archieres. Archie is just the chief or head. And then Kyrios in Greek, that has the same root as, as temple, which was actually also in the same verse. Hieron. So we put all that together and we have this compound noun, hoi archieres. Archie meaning the chief or the head. And then eres is just the plural of Kyrios, which has the same root as temple. So these are the chief priests over the temple. In other words, the bishops of the day. And then the other group of people that is questioning Jesus today is the presbyteroi to lao, to lao rather. Presbyteroi to lao. 
Now, you might recognize the English word in there, presbyteroi, or rather the English word is presbyterate. You might hear someone say, well, we couldn't go to daily mass today because our pastor is at the presbyterate meeting. Same root word right there. That's an adjective in English. And we also have that word presbyteroi to lao. What does to lao mean? That means of the people. So basically, these two groups of people, the hoi archieris is like the bishops of the day, and then the presbyterio to lao, literally the priests of the people, are kind of like the parish priests. So you got the, the bishops and the priests are coming to question Jesus today. Now by this point, keep in mind, they are not doubting the miracles the people are seeing with their own eyes. We just had in the last VLX, children too young to talk are crying out that this is the Messiah. So they can't really deny what the eyes of the people are seeing. But of course, they still think they're the authority in town. And in some sense, guess what? They are. Jesus is Yahweh. He is God. And Judaism is the one true world religion this time. And they are sitting on the seats that he has established. But here's the problem. They don't want to know the truth he's about to say. Why? Because the truth of Jesus being Messiah is not expedient to their hypocritical and selfish lives. So they ask, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Entering into verse 24, Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from, from heaven or from man? Now, Frederick Nietzsche, he was that uh, German philosopher he thought our Lord had a very wimpy or slimy personality precisely because of what he thought was non-direct answers like this. But what we're going to see is that Christ did not come out of left field with John the Baptist. That's going to be one of the main points of VLX today. We're going to see why he brings up John the Baptist. You see, Christ here is showing the chief priests of his day that they don't have a right to hear directly from his mouth where his authority comes from. Why? because he's already made it clear and they didn't want to know. And if they can't even, so to speak, digest the miracles of John the Baptist, how could they digest the glory of the Son of God even more? Because see, here's the thing. We as Catholics today, sometimes we think of John the Baptist as just one of many saints. But in the first millennium, you had two sides in Catholic churches, the Marian side and the St. John the Baptist side. He is one of the absolute most important saints. And in first century Judaism, everybody in Palestine, everybody in Israel knew who John the Baptist was. So this wasn't, this wasn't coming out of left field on this whole thing. Christ and the priests and the chief priests, they all knew who John the Baptist was. But Jesus is about to show them, not only do they want to not know the truth of John the Baptist, or I should say, because they can't even swallow the smaller truth of John the Baptist, there's no way they can swallow the enormous truth of who Christ is. The priests of that day, they had no right to know the truth because they have no interest in the truth. That's so key to this. Now that actually brings up an issue of obedience that we see in the Catholic Church today. I don't know if you've noticed this, but on social media, people are weaponizing Padre Pio's obedience against traditional priests. And it goes something like this. A lot of normie Catholics say, well, hey, Padre Pio obeyed when he was put under interdict, that means you can't do something, interdict on public masses. And I think it was for about a decade. So Padre Pio is told by the hierarchy, you can't do public masses, and he obeyed. So look at somebody like Father John Lovell, now president of Coalition for Canceled Priests. 
You know, years ago, he refrained from parish life in Illinois when he was canceled and told by his bishop not to return to parish life because he was put under some form of uh, restricted ministry for basically being too conservative. But he also would have never obeyed orders at that time to sin against his conscience, even under these restricted orders. So there's limited orders from the authorities of the day, as we're going to see in the life of Padre Pio and, of course, Jesus. And one of these boundaries, not the only one, but one of these boundaries is conscience. He'd be the last person in the world to compare himself to Padre Pio. So I'm not saying he's another Padre Pio, but you're going to see an analogy on this whole question of obedience and authority. So that saint, Padre Pio, he did obey the bad hierarchy of his day when they told him to do something. Is that true? Yes, it's true. So also, we see these leftist Catholic apologists saying that these rogue priests of now in the 21st century, they should obey the hierarchy, regardless of our moral appraisal of them. Now, actually, that is true to an extent. And the reason we have to include that caveat there is that there's an extent to the competency or the bandwidth that the hierarchy actually has above divine revelation in commands given to a priest, whether it's Padre Pio or Father Jim Altman. You see, when Padre Pio was told not to offer public masses, he obeyed just as Father Jim Altman did obey his bishop when he left his parish in Wisconsin. But here's the thing, folks. Listen closely to this. If Padre Pio was told to give out Holy Communion on the hands of lay people to them, there's no way he would have obeyed. Why? First, because it would get our Lord's body all over the ground. Secondly, because lay people's hands aren't consecrated like our priest's hands are consecrated. And thirdly, I believe very much that Padre Pio would have said that the hierarchy then in the 1960s didn't have the competency to overturn what Christ gave the apostles, namely that lay people cannot receive Holy Communion on the hands. Now, are there a couple exceptions to this in history? Yes, but it's like 1% of 1% of the examples of the early church, like a non-ordained desert father or desert mother occasionally self-communicating in the desert. Self-communicating means opening the tabernacle and giving yourself communion. But, you know, if you read the story of the most famous desert mother ever, St. Mary of Egypt, she only received, this is after her conversion, by the way, living 50 years of penance in the desert. She only received Holy Communion once or twice. And that was always, those one or two times, was from the hands of the priest, St. Zosima, who was a priest. She wouldn't dare touch the Eucharist even in the unitive stage of prayer, when she was reading the heart of St. Zosima, when she was walking on water, even there we have a holy mother of the desert who would not dare touch the Eucharist with her hands. Okay, now some people say St. Cyril of Jerusalem said it was okay for lay people to receive Holy Communion on the hand. There's a Dr. Taylor Marshall blog post that I'm going to link in the show notes that explains this objection. So St. Cyril allegedly wrote, allegedly wrote, and we're going to talk about that, when thou goest to receive communion, go not with thy wrists, wrists extended, nor with thy fingers separated, but placing thy left hand as a throne for thy right, which is to receive so great a king, and in the hollow of the palm receive the body of Christ, saying, Amen. Now, the first thing to realize is Dr. Taylor Marshall shows, again, in this uh, blog post that I'm going to link, that it's heavily disputed that St. Cyril even said that. And then Dr. Taylor Marshall writes this, quote, I want to add one more argument against the alleged 
St. Cyril of Jerusalem passage listed above. The make your hand a throne passage goes on to say, listen everybody, goes on to say that the faithful should touch the holy body of Christ to their eyes before consuming it. Then it also says the faithful should touch their lips still moist with the precious blood of Christ and touch the blood to their eyes. Dr. Marshall continues, even if this passage is authentic, and I don't think that it is, then communion in the hand should also include touching both the body and the blood to our eyes. Yet, says Dr. Taylor Marshall, who wants to argue for this custom, I think that every Catholic would find this abhorrent. It's an aberration from holy tradition, end quote. So you see, I agree with Dr. Taylor Marshall that no one's just going to birdbath it in the blood of Christ after touching the Eucharist with their hands. Nobody in the early church did that. So there's no reason to believe that's an authentic line from St. Cyril. And if you hold it's authentic, not even like hopefully the liberal Catholic priests out there are going to say you should splash the precious blood on your beard or whatever it says there in the rest of that quote. Okay, so what does this have to do with Padre Pio and obedience and then today's passage? Well, let's move our way back to that step by step. The first thing is this. My point is that Padre Pio, he would indeed obey a legitimate but bad command. Let me say that again. Padre Pio would obey a legitimate but maybe I should say distasteful command, such as you can only do private masses by yourself. Now, him obeying that is very distasteful, but it wouldn't be a sin to obey. But here's the thing, Padre Pio would never obey something he thought was sinful. And so there's a difference between a legitimate order that happens to be lawful but distasteful, like no public masses, but an order that is from a legitimate authority that's both distasteful and overturns all of apostolic tradition would never be something Padre Pio would obey. Okay, now what does this have to do with the Bible passage today? Well, it's this, that although Christ recognizes these chief priests and priests as the ones who occupy the seats of the one true religion, namely Judaism, that he himself, Adonai, the Lord, set up, he did not have to help them kill the Son of God, that is himself, by answering these questions whose questions they would abuse. So in other words, yes, we can recognize legitimate authority, but we also have to recognize there's, a, there's an extent to their bandwidth to tell us to overturn the Bible. No, they can't do that. They can't tell us to overturn the Bible. They can tell us, don't offer public mass and we have to obey, but they can't make us sin. And in this case, even though it's a little different, again, let me say that again, that Christ, by answering those questions, would have in some sense been helping them kill him because they weren't even interested in the truth. Now, of course, when people say, by what authority, Jesus, of course, could answer what Padre Pio couldn't, namely that he himself is God, Jesus himself is God. So he could have said, I'm Yahweh, and I'm the one who set you up as the Jewish authorities, and you're all hypocrites. He could have said that. But Jesus is also the extremely humble son of man. So he appeals to that great saint of his day, John the Baptist, kind of like how every type of Catholic from, from middle of the road to traditional quotes Padre Pio today. Jesus, as the very humble son of man, appeals to his cousin John the Baptist since he knew the chief priests of the day, knew he was a saint, or at least the chief priests all knew the people of his day held John the Baptist to be a great prophet. So do you see why I bring up Padre Pio? Normie Catholics today, they manipulate the legacy of Padre Pio on obedience to sound like he would do whatever he was told, even up to and including sin. No, Padre Pio 
did what he was told to up and beyond what he found distasteful, but never transgressing into the boundaries of apostolic Catholicism. That's why Padre Pio stopped offering the traditional Latin Mass publicly for a decade, but get this, everybody, he never did the Novus Ordo once. Okay, but back to the text today. We're going to see that Jesus doesn't answer them again because they don't want to know the truth. So Jesus catches the the priests of the people and the chief priests of the temple. He catches them on the fact that they not only will they not weigh in on Jesus Christ, they won't even weigh in on John the Baptist. So dishonest are they in the search for the truth of the Messiah. So what he's actually making here is an argument a fortiori. And they know they're caught because they talk among themselves about this question, where did John the Baptist come from? Back to the text of the Bible today. And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, that is speaking of John the Baptist, if, they, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. Okay, sorry to take us back to the 21st century, but I kind of wanted you to see how much is re- being repeated in the 21st century that was already in the 1st century. So imagine you're a traditional Catholic and a liberal bishop or a liberal priest comes up to you and asks you if you accept Vatican II. Now, they want you to say no so that they can say, ah, you don't accept an ecumenical council of the Catholic Church, and therefore you're schismatic or heretical. Now, I can give all these explanations, the big difference between a pastoral council like Vatican II and an ecumenical dogmatic council like Trent. But if you don't have time to memorize all that, let me tell you a fun little thing to say back to them. But really, put yourself in this situation. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a priest. Imagine someone, whether it's your aunt, your uncle, your mom, your dad, your kid, a priest comes up to you and asks if you accept Vatican II. You have to remember most, not always, but 98% of the people who know what you stand for and come to ask you something like that, they're not interested in the truth. They want to trip you up like the chief priests because (laughs) their consciences are convicted by your lifestyle in way of traditional worship. So here's my suggestion on an answer. When someone comes up to you and says, do you accept Vatican II, do what Jesus did and ask a question back. Simply say to that person, did Vatican II change the Catholic faith? Or if you can't remember that, just say, did Vatican II change the faith? And if he says yes, then you can say, well, then you have a new religion on your hands different from Catholicism. And if he says no, you can say, then you should have no problem with me teaching what the church has always taught. Okay, so back to today's text. Lapide writes that Christ's answer was as if to say, if you do not believe me when I say that I have received power from God, then believe John the Baptist who bore witness to me that I was sent by God to do these things. In other words, someone not interested in John the Baptist as prophet certainly isn't interested in Jesus as the Messiah. So they demur, they get out of it. Verse 27, So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Okay, now here St. Jerome has this brilliant line. He says that Christ showed them that they knew but would not answer, and that he knew and did not tell them because they kept back what they knew. Let me say that again, St. Jerome. Christ showed them that they knew but would not answer, and that he knew and did not tell them because they kept back what they knew. So you're not obliged to give the truth to people 
who are going to abuse the truth. You are not obliged to give the truth to people who are going to abuse the truth. You can never lie. But often in life, you're going to find you're not obliged to tell the truth to people who are going to abuse the truth of your very life. I was going to leave the next parable for the next VLX, but I think I'm going to leave it here today because it ties in so nicely to the chief priests being interested in the truth. Now, as you hear the parable again that Jesus gives to these priests, both the chief priests and the chief and the priests of the priests of the people, as you listen to this parable again, realize that the Jewish priests of Jesus' day claim they're waiting for the Messiah but don't follow him. But as we're going to see in the life of St. Paul, after the resurrection of Jesus, it's the Gentiles who are not looking for the Messiah who often do realize Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Or I can rephrase that in simpler terms. The first century priests claim they're looking for the Messiah but don't follow him, and the pagans of the first century don't know of the Messiah but are often baptized when the apostles tell them about him, like Acts 8 with the Ethiopian. And so also today, we're also going to hear in this parable about prostitutes and tax collectors. So also, let's come back right back to the 21st century like I keep doing. Today, prostitutes are coming to Christ and many Catholic clergy are rejecting him. You probably think I'm using that as a hyperbole just to kind of uh, um, cut the axe I'm always trying to cut here. I'm not kidding. I have seen the most astonishing conversions to traditional Catholicism from really, really, really big-time sinners and yet, I find very few people so speak so ill of traditional Catholicism as the clergy who are leftists. So this parable we read is very much what's happening in the 21st century as what was happening in the 1st century. I'm going to read you the parable again, and then we will close with the lines of Father Lapide explaining this parable a little more closely. So let's hear one more time this parable that Christ gives to the chief priests of the temple, and the priests of the people. Christ says, What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Father Lapidate comments on this section. In truth, the first son, being at first unwilling to obey his father, but afterwards repenting and obeying by going to work in the vineyard, represents the publicans and harlots, who at first by their sins spurned the will and law of God, but afterwards, at John's preaching, returned to their senses and did penance, and lived chastely and justly according to the law of God. The second son, who said to his father that he would go into the vineyard, but broke his word and went not, represents the scribes and Pharisees, who always had the law of God in their mouths, as though they were most zealous and religious observers of it, but did not fulfill it in their deeds." but by lust, rapine, and usury acted contrary to it. For this reason, they provoked the grave displeasure and anger of God against them, both on account of their wickedness itself and also because of their hypocrisy and feigned observance of the law. For they wished to be seen as zealots of the law, whereas they were violators of it. For such hypocrisy and duplicity grievously provokes God. So that's important real quick to realize before I continue with Father Lapide here. The Protestant movies on Jesus today make it look like the Pharisees kept the law. 
They didn't. That was one of Jesus' main, main points. They feigned observance to the law. They didn't even keep the law. Not only did they not have love, they didn't even keep the law. Father Lapide continues, Mystically, publicans and harlots represent the Gentiles who at first were slaves to idols and vices, and afterwards were converted by the preaching of the apostles and served God in virtue. The Pharisees and scribes represent the Jews who seemed to worship God but really despised him since they rejected Christ who was sent by him and hardened their hearts in his perfidy. So say St. Jerome, St. Chrysostom, St. Athanasius, St. Bede, and others. Also, Christ shows, says St. John Chrysostom, that the populace and plebeians who sometime or other are converted are better than priests who never converted. Ordinary Christians and lay people who, impelled by a desire for holiness, keep the evangelical counsels, real quick, that is poverty, chastity, and obedience, although they are not bound to them by vow or profession, are like the first son. Priests, monks, and religious who have taken vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and afterward break them, are like the second son. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio deemne patentis. Patris et Filii et Spiritus Santi, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen.